Um, and we love our church. We love that this is happening. And that's the series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks is I Love Church. Um, and many of you will remember uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Darren kicked this off. Can you believe that it was just two weeks ago that it was January 1st? It feels like the month is almost over already. Um, but two weeks ago, Pastor Darren kicked off this series, I Love Church, and talked about um, the church as a family and how um, we love the church. We love to come into this place because the church is a family. For many of us, the church is more family than our family is family. Uh, the families that we have here, the, the company that we keep here are closer to us. They're more intimate um, to us th- than our biological families. I, I know for Michelle and I, our families live 500 miles away, and so we get to know our church family, our Velcro family, a little bit better sometimes um, than we do our regular, our, our biological family. And we love the church as a family. And then last week, we talked about how the church um, comes together and encounters God. How, how one of the reasons we love the church is because we encounter God together and, and he shows us what to do when we take that next step. And, and we acknowledge that you can encounter God outside of the church. You can encounter God on your own in Bible study or, or through um, preaching online or teaching through Right Now Media. There's all kinds of ways that you can encounter God. But there's something significant that happens when we come together and encounter the physical presence of God in this place. And we love that about our church. And today we're going to talk about something that I love about our church. It's, it's something uh, really that's, that's, well, I mean, it's just, it's probably my favorite thing about church. And it's this idea that I love the church because it shows me who I am. And the reason I love this so much is because for a lot of my life it seems like, now I'm not that old, so maybe it's just because I'm so young, And humble. <clears throat> but for a lot of my life, it feels like I've been trying to figure out exactly who I'm supposed to be. How have you put me together, God? What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to use this part of my personality? What, what does it even mean that I have this thing going on in my life? How does this all fit together? And it's been a significant question for me. Who am I? And I would guess that at times, at least, it's been a significant question for you. Who am I? Who am I in this season? God, what are you doing right now? What am I supposed to do in response to this? What is happening and how do I fit into this thing? Right? And it's a question that we have. Who am I? And there are no shortages when it comes to finding answers. Right? I mean, just get on social media. Everyone is more than happy to tell you who you should be, what you should think about every topic, uh, how you should believe, how you should act, how you should respond. There's no shortage when it comes to finding answers to the question, who am I? Drive down I-25 and look at the bulletin boards. Look at those announcements on the side of the road, right? They're, they're going to tell you, you should be this, or you ought to be this, or don't you want to be this? If you're an athlete, You need these shoes because it will make you a better athlete. If you're not an athlete, you need these shoes because it will turn you into an athlete somehow, magically, right? I've been trying it for years. It's not working. But everyone wants to tell us 
who we should be. Haven't you found that to be true? Haven't you found that everyone wants to tell you, your family wants to tell you who you are? You, you look, and even when we look at ourselves, we try and figure out, okay, this is how God's put me together, and, and this is my passions and desires, and, and this is what I think, and, 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 and we can get some clarity from that. We can get some answers, but at the end of the day, man, I, I've heard the advice, just follow your heart. That is terrible advice. My heart has led me in some places that I won't speak about because we're in church. You know what I'm saying? So where do we look to find this answer? Who are we? Who am I? Who am I supposed to be? What has God made me to be and to do? Where do I find the answer? Well, I think it's appropriate that we look to the one who made us to the creator of all things, to say, here's who I've made you to be. Here's what I've designed for you. Here's what I have for you. So there's no better place in my mind to look than in the pages of Scripture, God's letter to us. And so today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be. Um, It's going to be a couple minutes before we get there because I need to to give you uh, just some background information on why we're in this passage particularly. So the book of Ephesians, Paul, um, the Apostle Paul wrote this uh, to some believers um, in the area of Asia Minor, um, you know, a few hundred years ago, and um, he, he wrote it to believers. We don't know exactly who, there's not a specific audience uh, listed in his letter, in this particular letter, and so we're not sure, but he wrote it in general to Christians living in that area. And, and this letter is really interesting to me because it, it's really divided into two parts, And the first part of this letter, called Ephesians, um, we find that Paul is writing about identity to those of us who aren't Jewish, who didn't grow up knowing all the Jewish tradition and following those things and knowing who God was through the Jewish religion, uh, to uh, people he calls Gentiles, which are just simply non-Jews, which most of us are. And so Paul writes this to say, look, this is who you are. Because of what God has done, this is who you are. This is your identity in Christ. That's the whole first half of the letter. And then the second half of the letter, basically there's a transition point where, where Paul says, because that's true, this is how you should act. This is how you should live. And in the middle of that section, in chapter 4, in the middle of that chapter, Paul writes a little couple of verses about how the church functions in relationship to that identity. We find it in chapter 4, verse 11. And here's what Paul says about how the church functions in relationship to that identity. Oh, I skipped a whole bunch of stuff, man. Didn't I, Mike? I'm sorry, I threw you off there. Let me back up a minute. Hey, it's been a rough week, and I'm going to tell you a story in a minute, and you're going to understand. Here's what we need to know. Who is Paul writing to? Paul's writing to the church, right? He's writing to Christians. And we've heard a couple of definitions over the last couple of weeks about what the church is, right? It's a family. It's the body of believers or the body of Christ. It's, it, there's a unifying aspect where we represent who God is to the world. But, but really, if we break it down to its simplest term, what the church is, there's a word that was used. It's the word ecclesia. It's in your notes. It's number one. That's how I knew I forgot it. It's ecclesia, right? This is the Greek word that means church. And it's translated church or assembly or congregation. But what you may not know, and what I didn't know until I kind of did some study on this word, is that it's actually two words that are mashed together, right? 
It's two words brought together. The first word means assembly, yes, but the second word means called out from. So the picture we get of the church is that it's God's people assembled who have been called out from something. And we make the assumption that it's called out from the world. So the church is God's people called out from the world to be assembled. That's what it is at its core, at its heart. That's what ecclesia means. And so we are the assembly of God called out from something. And much like our military, a few years ago, there, was, there were, um, not a few years ago, several years ago now, um, we, we had the draft in place. We needed more soldiers in the military, and so we drafted soldiers, and they were called out from the population to be soldiers. And many of you have voluntarily taken on that calling. You volunteered to be called out from the general population in order to be a soldier or in the military, in my case. Not a soldier, but in the military nonetheless. It's an inside joke for some of you. I was in the Air Force, and all of these Army people make fun of me, so I try not to say Air Force. Okay, get it out so we can move on. All right, so called out, though. We, we, we volunteered to be called out from the population in order to be a part of something, a, a different group of people, an assembly within that that's, that's special, that's set apart for something. And in the military, uh, many of you uh, are still active duty and you have certain rules and duties and responsibilities that you have to follow because of this assembly that you're part of. For example, if I were still it's out now, but if I were still in the Air Force, um, this particular shave probably wouldn't cut it because I was lazy this morning and didn't actually shave all the way, right? That wouldn't cut it in the military. It doesn't, it doesn't follow the rules. And much like that, there are certain standards of behavior that are expected of us when we are called out into the assembly. And that's what Paul writes about in the second half of Ephesians, is these behaviors that we ought to have, these things that we ought to do, these duties and responsibilities. And we find in the middle of that how the church functions in response to that. Okay, we're back to where I thought we were, so now we can move forward. Here we go, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, right? So we need to break this down a little bit. There's, there's three verses here. We need to dive in a little bit, right? The first thing we see is that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Let's stop right there. Because we tend to think of these as offices or as a hierarchy that's in the church, right? We have the apostles who uh, plant churches. We have the prophets. We have evangelists who, who go out and start churches. And we have pastors and teachers. And we, and we have these roles within the church. And these are the guys who are professional ministers. They're paid to do ministry. They're paid uh, uh, to do God's work. And so they're the ones that we hire to go do God's work for us. Except that's not what it actually says there. What it says is that God has given them, our pastors, our teachers, our shepherds, our evangelists, not as individuals in offices, but as roles that are filled, right? We have shepherds um, in our church that we call elders. They shepherd and protect and guard our church. They're not paid for that position. They're volunteers for that. But they've stepped into that position. They have, they fill that role for a season, right? 
because it's a role that the church needs as a gift to it in order to do what? What does it say? To equip the saints for the works of service. So the picture we get here is not that it's the paid ministry staff to do the work, and I have to be careful because I'm one of those, and I feel like you're going to throw something at me if I'm not cautious here. But, but what, what Paul is saying is that it's not the role of the paid ministry staff to do the work of God. And you guys just get to be observers or attenders, right? That's not what it says. What it says is that our job is to equip you for works of service. So the first thing we find is that we're called to serve. Not just the pastors are called to serve. Not just the pastor's wives are called to serve. Not just those of you who who felt burdened by something that happened in children's ministry and you decided to go serve there. The saints are called to serve. It's a part of being in the assembly. It's a part of being called out from the world that we serve. Now, we have a little bit of a misunderstanding about this word serve, though. See, in church world, we like to use the word serve because it helps people feel like they're doing more than just volunteering, right? But oftentimes, what we mean when we say serve in church world is that we want you to volunteer for something, right? I might say, I want, Tom, I want you to serve in children's ministry, and what I really mean is, Tom, I need to volunteer for the third grade class, right? Which is true, and it is a form of service, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about here is living a life of service. See, just before this, Paul says that that part of what we're supposed to do is to be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. And so what Paul is saying here about what it means to serve, what it means to be called to serve, is not that we serve and, and volunteer, right? We don't get to check the service card because I came in and I was an usher this week. What Paul is saying is you live a life marked by serving others. Your identity is serving It's who we are, which means that when my neighbor has their fence blown over, I don't wait until they call me to see if we're going to split the bill. I don't wait until they say, hey, can you help me to get out there and do it? I start that conversation because I love them enough to serve them. I love them enough to step into that place. I'm humbled myself enough to go and do that thing. See, it's, it's not that we serve as an action. It's that we are servants. We live in that place. We stay in that place, living as servants. Many times I've heard people say, hey, you should start volunteering somewhere. You should start serving somewhere because it'll help you understand who God's made you to be. And there's some truth in that. I've met people who we've plugged into children's ministry or we've plugged into student ministry and within a few weeks they're saying, I love this. I, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't do this for my whole life. I can't believe how much this fits me. I've also known people who we've plugged into children's ministry or student ministry who've said, you gotta get me out of here. <laughs> like, uh, like, is there a back door? Like, can I sneak out some? Like, I, I can't do, like, this is, I'm, I'm going crazy. Like, I've known that, right? It happens, right? So there is, there is a bit of finding yourself when you step into service. That does happen. But, but here's what I want you to understand. We don't serve in order to find our identity. Our identity is serving. Did you get that? 
Like we don't serve and volunteer in order to find who we are. We are servants. That is who we are. We do what God asks us to do. We're obedient to his word. We're obedient to his will. We're obedient to love those around us, to do what needs to be done for our neighbors, to do what needs to be done for those in the church and outside of the church. We are servants. It's who we are. And the reason we serve, Paul tells us, as we continue, is so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now let's pause right there. Haven't you found that to be true? Haven't you found that when someone loves you unexpectedly, when they do something right by you, when they step into your need, when they, when they take on something that, that really is yours to bear, but they pick it up for you, haven't you found that you're encouraged in that moment? Haven't you found that that lifts your spirits? Haven't you found that, right? So, so we serve to the end of building each other up, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, inspiring one another. And here's what happens. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, it would seem that what we're talking about is serving one another, serving within the assembly, serving the body so that the body of Christ may be built up. But don't, don't miss this, that we're called to be servants the way that Jesus was called to be servants. And if I read my Bible, what it tells me is that Jesus served me before I was ever a part of his body. Before I was ever even in relationship with Jesus, Jesus went and served me. And so we're called not only to serve within the body, but also outside of the body. And that builds the body up by witnessing to the world who Christ is and possibly encouraging them to come to know Christ and become part of the body. Do you see what I'm saying, right? We live as servants so that we grow up in the knowledge of Christ and in maturity. Now, I've been in church a lot of years. I grew up in church. And I've been a part of a lot of Bible studies and classes and when I was a kid and when I was an adult and, and a lot of different things. And some of them have been really, really helpful and really, really good. But sometimes in church, we get hung up on knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Have you ever found that to be true? That in church world, we say, hey, I need to be in a Bible study because I need to learn this book or this chapter or this concept again and again and again. And, and, and what I want you to understand is that I, I just don't want you to get hung up on this and say, yeah, see that we need to grow in knowledge and take that to mean we need to have knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Because the truth is, you're never going to know all there is to know about God. I don't care if you spend every waking minute for your entire life studying scripture and studying who God is. You're not going to know, you're, you're just not going to know him completely. He's unfathomable. He's unknowable in that way. We can know him in part, but until we reach eternity, we're not going to know him fully. It's impossible because he's that awesome. And so we don't pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We pursue knowledge for the sake of being better servants. Because that's who we are. We're called to serve and grow in knowledge so that we can serve better, so we can serve more effectively, so I can love deeper, right? 
And, and we're not called to maturity in the sense of behavior modification. We're not called to grow up and say, well, I've, I've stopped sinning. Anybody, anybody reach that level of maturity yet? Anybody want to be brave enough to raise your hands? It's not going to happen, right? And, and that's not why we modify our behavior in the first place. It's not to be considered good enough. You're never going to be good enough. Scripture tells us that God's standard is perfection with no mistakes. So most of us are already hosed. In fact, all of us have already messed up, right? We've already, we've already gone past that. We've already been not perfect. We can't go back and be perfect. So we don't modify our behavior in order to get God's goodness, in order to be good enough. That's not why we modify our behavior. We do it in order to serve better, to love better. I had to modify my behavior this week. My wife doesn't know I'm going to tell this story. I know. Oh, I got to work up the nerve. <clears throat> Here's what happened. I was not full of humility or patience or grace or putting my wife ahead of me this week. And we had a rough week. We had a rough couple of days there. You know, the kind of days where you say a couple of words to, get to each other because you don't want to continue the fight that happened the day before, right? We had a couple of those days this week. I, and I know pastors are supposed to be like, whatever, I don't even know, but there's some expectation that we, like, because I'm a pastor, we're not gonna argue. Uh, that doesn't happen, just, just so you know. Like, I, we're just like you, maybe worse, actually. Um, but here's the thing, right? We, 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 had, we had some argument, and, and, and I came away from that, and I stepped away, and, and God met me. Thank, thank the Lord. He's patient with me. He's gracious to me, and he revealed to me, hey, man, this isn't your wife's issue. This is your pride. This is you, dude. And I had to step away from that, and I had to apologize, and I had to modify my behavior. See, I was demanding that my wife respects me. I was demanding of her some level of service that I thought I was owed. I, I, I was doing these things to say, you, I deserve this from you. I was wrong. I mean, straight up, I was wrong. It was my pride that had gotten in the way that said, I deserve this, I need this. And what happened is I found humility and I had to modify my behavior but not so that I could be good enough right I didn't come to my wife and say hey I'm gonna be better now so that you'll accept me no I modified my behavior because I love my wife because I want her to be restored in relationship with her see the reason we modify our behavior is to love one another better to restore relationship to be reconciled to one another and to the world and Paul says it this way attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, the second thing we find in here, we're called to serve, we're called to be full of Christ. We're called to be filled with Christ. I I'm called to be Christ-like, to let the Spirit dwell inside of me and come out in every interaction. And, and, and really, that's how we act in service, right? 
It's through Christ in me that I can serve because I'm telling you, this heart has too much pride. This heart has too much selfishness. This heart is too sinful to on my own be the servant that God asked me to do. But when I'm filled with Christ, when I die to myself and Christ lives in me, then I can serve. And here's why I love the church. Because when I come into this place, when I gather with the assembly, whether it's with my small group at home in that group of assembly or, or it's, it's here with the, the body of believers coming together, when I gather in this place, here's what I see. I look around and I see those who are loving well, who are loving me well, who are loving kids well, who are loving you well, who are loving well, who are serving well in this place and I'm encouraged by that. And I want to do likewise. And so I die to myself a little bit. And then as I step into serving you, as I step into humility, I'm filled with Christ and I'm encouraged to serve more. See, there's this cycle that happens where when we step into service, when we serve one another, we're filled with Christ. And as we're filled with Christ, we serve better. And as we serve better, we're more filled with Christ. And it just keeps going and going and going. If we'll set aside our pride and our become humble and allow God to fill us, we can serve well, which encourages us to be more filled with Christ and it is the fullness of Christ in us that speaks volumes to the world it's the fact that we can be reconciled with one another it's the fact that we can love each other so deeply it's the fact that we can care for one another in such extreme ways and set aside ourselves that speaks to the world of what God has done in reconciling us to himself so I love the church because it reminds me that I'm a servant. It reminds me that I'm called to be filled with Christ. And it reminds me that I can't do it on my own. See, when I look around and I say, who am I? Who am I called to be? Who am I supposed to be? I can't be good enough. I can't be the servant I'm called to be. I can't make myself be full of Christ. I can't make myself be loving. I can't make myself be humble. I can't do it. When I see it happening in you, when I see God moving in you, I'm encouraged to pursue it and to say yes to God. And I'm reminded every time we come in this place that there is an awesome God whom we worship. And I'm reminded every time we come into this place that I don't deserve the relationship that I have with him because of Christ Jesus and God's great love for us and his grace for us. And Jesus went and was sent to die in my place on the cross so that I could be reconciled to God. And now I am no longer called a stranger of God. I'm not just a servant of God in that respect. I'm a son of the most high God. And I love church because it shows me that even though I don't deserve it, he's called me out, called me out of the world into the assembly to be his son and to be on mission for him as a servant of everyone around me. And I love that. I love that that's who we are.